This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The best is yet to come. All right, everybody. What is going on? What's up? How you doing? Welcome to episode 255, future award-winning Talk Buffalo podcast. Big, big thank you to everybody out there who is continuing to listen, download, support the show. It really means a lot to me. And there's been a big boost in listenership of late, and I'm very, very grateful for all that. Part of that is because I've been... Very blessed, continue to be blessed to have good guests on this podcast. Today will certainly be no exception. I'm going to have my buddy Chris Baker join me in just a minute. Now, obviously, Chris Baker is far better known in hockey circles, and especially for his expertise in the area of Buffalo Sabres prospects. But what some of you may not know, you're certainly about to find out anyway, Chris is a total sports guy through and through, and that goes far beyond that black puck and hockey ice. Uh, We're going to talk tons of Buffalo Bills. Obviously, of course, the Buffalo Bills are now sitting at 2-0. 2-0 after knocking off Miami in Hard Rock Stadium on Sunday. 2-0 for the season. Also, 2-0 in the division. That's big. Uh, Of course, the big story coming out of it, Josh Allen. Tell you what, man. Josh Allen has looked like, like the second coming of vintage in his prime Brett Favre right now. It's just amazing to see. And it's always tough to win on the road in the NFL. Bills are doing that. Uh, So we'll talk about the game. We'll talk about Josh Allen. We'll talk about the incredible addition that Stephon Diggs has brought to this offense. Uh, We'll talk about the very underrated play of the offensive line so far. Nobody's really talking about them, but they've been very good. Josh Allen, for the most part, has had an eternity to throw the football and they got the running game going pretty good in Miami on Sunday. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about the defense. It was shorthanded. Two key linebackers down. And Josh Norman still hasn't played yet this year. And I'll tell you what. The defense certainly didn't play great. I don't even think they necessarily played good. Ryan Fitzpatrick. Very good game for Miami. But they did do enough. And for now, again, especially on the road against a divisional opponent, that's all that matters. A win is a win. And we'll talk about the prospects of the team going forward. And I do have to say this much. Maybe, just maybe, we should probably pump the brakes just a little bit anyway on anointing this team anything more than what they are so far, which is 2-0. Again, that's great. But I'll tell you what, let's not throw any parades in the street right now. Let's not make any Facebook Super Bowl parade events that we're reserving right now for February 8th because at the end of the day, they beat the New York Jets, who are a very lousy football team. And the Miami Dolphins were gritty, but they definitely lack talent. And Byron Jones going out early in the game really benefited uh, the Buffalo Bills offense. But anyway, like I said, it's a great feeling to be a Buffalo Bills fan right now. That's the bottom line. Uh, that's for sure. And, well, I mean, I do have Chris Baker on. So since I have him on, of course, we'll talk some hockey. We'll talk some Sabres. I'm going to get his reaction to Buffalo trading for Eric Stahl last week. We'll talk about what he thinks Eric Stahl's role may be, who his addition may help benefit the most, uh, some things that he's looking for, or at least hoping that new general manager Kevin Adams and the Sabres do in this what's a rapidly approaching offseason. It's coming real soon, and it's going to be condensed, probably a little bit nuts, so I'll get Chris's insight on that. And also, now I know back home, my hometown of Buffalo, a lot of people who listen to this podcast are from Western New York. No high school football going on. Can't go to any high school football games or any high school sports period right now in Western New York. I did get an opportunity down here in Florida to go to my son's uh, first Friday Night Lights game. It was different. It was interesting. 
Uh, I'll fill you guys in on what that's like. And the reason I say that is because sooner or later, fans will be allowed back into Bill's Stadium. I almost said the Ralph there to go to games. So maybe I can give you a little bit of insight on what you might expect when that does happen. Who knows what else we talk about today? But look, I'm always excited to have Chris on the podcast with me. So with that in mind, I'm not going to waste any more time. Let's just get down to business right now. Here it is, my chat with my man, Chris Baker. Chris Baker. What's going on, buddy? How you doing? Doing well. Doing well. Bills are 2-0 and and had a good weekend at golf and uh, we're in a pandemic. Everything's great. <laughs> For people who've been listening to this podcast regularly, and hopefully there's a lot of them listening today. So I had, you've done the show a handful of times and they've always went well. Um, your dogs usually make a guest appearance. Maybe they will again at some point this, uh, this episode too. But anyway, I had you on in late May alongside Paul Hamilton and Chad DeMinicis and John Vogel. And we did a two-part Buffalo Sabres all-time draft. And man, I had all the horses that I wanted to have on that show, all the hockey knowledge, all the great takes, and the worst audio maybe in the entire history of podcasting. Man, that was a complete and utter Audio disaster. I got to put at least some of it anyway, most of it, I guess, on myself. But good times, man. It was a good episode, too. It sucks because, like I said, the draft itself was fun, man. You guys really brought it. And uh, that was a lot of fun to do. It's just a shame that the audio sucks so bad. No, you know, and of all the times that I've um, spent with you on your show, I don't like to call the podcast, by the way. This is a show. (laughs) Um, That was the best appearance, I think, you know. And, yeah, there was a lot of banter. Good. I obviously drafted the best team. I mean, that's without question. I don't care what the poll said on Twitter. <laughs> that just proved to me what I already knew that like Twitter is just a hellhole and they don't have it. Um, no, that was really fun. You know, that was really fun. And um, it's too bad that folks couldn't hear the audio because there was some good chit chat in those two episodes. Yeah, that we did. Really was. But um, yeah, but hey, regardless, hey, maybe we'll make up for it here. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, too. By the way, so your audio was actually. As good as you guys are at hockey, I'm I'm gonna just I'm gonna have to tell you this. I'm gonna level with you, man. You guys aren't the most tech savvy audio engineer experts out there. Now you're probably the best of the bunch. Chad's there. John Vogel is like, I'm only calling you on the phone. That's all we're doing. And Paul Hamilton, love Paul. Paul's my guy. But and I told you this story. He literally kind of was had his laptop holding to the side, talking into the uh to the laptop mic so low that, I mean, I had to turn it up so high that we couldn't hear it. I don't know what he was doing wrong, but anyway, utter disaster audio, but it, it, it was fun. Um, you mentioned it earlier, the Bills are 2-0. and We'll talk about them. We'll talk about the Sabres. Like I said in the intro, some people may be surprised to know that Chris Baker is not just a hockey guy, dude. You like all kinds of sports. You're very, very well-rounded. It's, uh, yeah, it's part of my upbringing. You know, hockey was always a big part of what I've done. But yeah, I mean, you can't live in Buffalo and first of all, not be a, a Bills fan or at least a football watcher. And, you know, as you get older, you start playing more golf. I'm not a young spry buck anymore. And, you know, part of playing golf is in following that. I watch a lot of golf also. But no, I mean, um, I love Sunday football, Pat. Like, I, especially at the peak of like fantasy. You know, I think probably yeah. from like our 20s, I'm in my, you know, mid, early to mid 40s now. It's almost like, man, it feels like we've been doing the fantasy thing forever. And that really amplified just football in general. When you have a lot of money invested into, you know, 18 fantasy teams, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like so many, <laughs> so many of us were balancing that many teams. But yeah, you just get into it and like the injury reports and the depth charts. And, you know, isn't not- it crazy? Isn't it crazy, Chris, how much it's grown since we first started playing fantasy football. Like if you remember back in the day, pretty much it was all touchdowns. In fact, I remember playing in the early days of fantasy football. The only thing that mattered was touchdowns. Eventually you got points for yards and stuff like that. It really exploded. But yeah, it's been going on forever. No, it's been, it is. The evolution of fantasy has been wild. And I think that the whole DFS market's total game changer too. I mean, that's really where I'm at now. This is the first year that I am exclusively just doing daily fantasy when it comes to football and hockey. You like it? Oh yeah, I do. I do. I mean, you can, it's fun, man. It's well, first of all, like when you have a, a daily fantasy lineup, you're just like, it's like watching the stock market because every play 
and every game impacts the score on the leaderboard. You go up, you go down, you know, it's, it's pretty wild. I mean, it's almost better if you don't look at it, <laughs> honestly, until yeah. like, all the day's action is done. But no, daily fantasy is kind of where it's at. And obviously the money is much larger, more lucrative also there. It is. And I'll tell you, I'm, I'm glad you said that because fantasy baseball or any sport, I should say, it really makes you lock into more than just maybe that one team you follow. Like for an example, baseball, I'm a lifelong Yankees fan and I am a fantasy baseball nut. I've always gotten into the leagues. And I used to do a lot of DFS daily fantasy, but I haven't done it in the last year or so just because I, I know myself too well. Because when I get, once I dive into that, I don't do anything else. I'm not productive. I literally will spend all day trying to come up with the best lineup for that day. And uh, my wife hates me because of shit like that. But anyway, here was my point. <laughs> this is how important it is. So this year with the 60 game schedule with baseball, I'm usually in at least three leagues. And all the commissioners, I'm a commissioner of one myself, we decided not to do it this year. And as a result, with no fantasy, I've barely followed baseball at all. Like, I know the Yankees are playing well recently, and I know a couple of things about a couple of players and teams, but I would say in probably the last 20 years, I, am, I know the least about baseball that I've known probably in two decades because I'm not involved in fantasy. So yeah, that is definitely a big uh, an aspect of really keeping up besides just the fantasy purpose. It makes you pay attention to all the players and all the games. No, it is. I mean, like I said, every play impacts the score, you know? So like the Sunday ticket became a big part of my life, you know, and it still is. I still bounce over there. And of course, you know, you had to go over there this week because up here in Buffalo, I'm sure for everyone, right. With the power outage, I mean, we lost a big chunk of the game with the technical difficulties and that was kind of an issue. I think we missed a touchdown, but um, no, I mean, Regardless, so, you know, I, I hope you're not overselling my uh, football interest, I guess. I mean, I love it, okay? But, like, I'm not, I'm almost, I almost compare myself to, like, Tony Kornheiser, you know what I mean? Where it's like, I'll have an opinion on something like he would, but right. I can talk schematics, you know, defensive schemes or, you know what I mean? All this crap, but, I mean, I do love the game. I'm really excited to see the Bills doing well because this town, you, everyone says it. I mean, when the Bills are doing well, everyone's just in a better mood. My neighbors are all smiling. They're waving to each other. You know, that's a rarity, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? Do you know, everyone always talks about, like I hear Jeremy White on WGR, a bunch of people on Twitter, they're always saying that like this time of year is their favorite time of year because the Bills are early in their season, plus it's elite weather. Like, first of all, early fall, or I should say late summer going into fall, is that like your elite weather time too? Or are you one of those guys who says, man, I want summer to last longer and I'm not ready to start wearing hoodies and like jackets, like quite yet. You know what I'm saying? What, where do you fall on that? Dude, I'm just happy to be alive, man. I, I'm, I'm okay <laughs> in a, you know, five degree blizzard because I think that it, there's something, there's an element of fun being barricaded in your house with a bunch of beer and, you know, it's an excuse to order pizza. And I like, I like snow blowing, but like, I like summer because it means I'm out on the golf course a lot. I'm walking my dogs. We're doing cool stuff there. Jeans and hoodie weather is cool too. Cause that's when I'm most comfortable in clothes. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's yeah. like, I don't have a preference. But, um, you know, you know what I'm saying? But it's like, no, but it is nice. I think, though, that this time of year, like if you think about it right now, it's September, you know, late September, mid to late September. This is usually when the Bills are starting and the Sabres are in training camp. So it's like from that aspect, from sports, it's usually a pretty cool time right. to be in Buffalo. Um, of course, we're missing the hockey a little bit. I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about hockey, obviously. But, you know, the, the one thing I will say, too, is that, you know, so the Bills are 2-0 and and I do. I I see fans though making the same mistake that Sabres fans have made in recent years, where they're already screenshotting the standings and you know tweeting out the pictures of the state. It's like guys, they're two and zero, you know. And I think like even when you're two and zero, I think the chances of making the playoffs are like fifty percent, fifty five percent, something like that. I don't know. I was going to look it up earlier and I forgot, but I'm pretty sure that's the number. So it's like, you know, you beat the you beat two divisional opponents. That's cool. But like, let's like still kind of stay grounded because like when the Sabres were on their winning streak in November, a couple of years ago, I just remember that too. And that blew up in everyone's face. So it's like, let's learn from the past and just kind of look at week to week and just kind of enjoy each win. Yeah, I agree. I actually never thought of it that way because that definitely happened with the Sabres, not once, but, uh, but twice. Now twice. fans yeah. are very into the team and that's completely understandable. Now down here, they just played in Miami on Sunday. And I read in the paper today, because obviously I'm down here in Florida, that they put like 13,000, a little over 13,000 seats on sale and did not even sell all of them. Isn't that crazy? 
I feel like if you put 13,000 seats for sale in Buffalo, and that might happen at some point in the near future or something around that number, people are going to kill each other to get one of those tickets in Buffalo. Down here, they didn't even sell them out. And half the people in that stadium were uh, Buffalo Bills fans down here in Florida. It's just such a different vibe, man. It's so casual. Which, by the way, I want to tell you this quick story, and then we'll jump into some Bills. I know a lot of people out there have kids listening or brothers or cousins or whoever who usually play high school football. Obviously, that's not going on in Western New York. And one of the biggest reasons why I am very grateful to actually be in Florida right now, I mean, I've been talking Buffalo up so much to the point that people think I hate Florida. I don't hate Florida. I'm just I'm really grateful to be here right now because my son is getting the opportunity to play his senior year high school football. And I went to a game on Friday night. They had a road game. It was his first game of the season. And it was, uh, uh, I didn't know what to expect. It was kind of weird. Like they had different roles for people who got tickets online and people who got them at the gate. Everybody obviously had to have a mask on. And the stadium, like any other high school stadium with bleachers, with rows, every other row was taped off. And you could only have, I think, groups of four or five together. And then you had to space out like six feet. The officials had on masks while they were officiating. It was fun. And it was, again, I'm grateful for any football, but kind of a weird experience being in the stands like that. You know what I mean? It just kind of felt a little bit surreal Kind of makes you think what's going on in this world. And I think eventually, because I do think the Bills eventually will have fans at some point this year. It's going to be really interesting to see how fans react and, and feel about having people in the stadium. You know, it's going to be really weird. Uh, just the, the whole environment, the whole vibe. You know what I mean? I think they're chomping at the bit, the Bills are, to get fans back in. Um, you know, have that modified tailgating environment. Just get, get some kind of semblance of normalcy for the fan experience there. I understand that they were kind of paying attention to how the Dolphins were doing it down at the stadium. Uh, I, I would assume in preparation for being able to do the same thing up in Orchard Park. But um, I'm not going to say the new normal or whatever, you know, because it's overused term. But um, I am grateful to at least have that sense of normalcy on my TV to have pro sports again. There are some of the sports that you can watch without fans and it makes sense. I think hockey is actually a really good TV sport where, you know, fans are kind of part of it. But I mean, even like when I watch Sabres games, it's kind of like a morgue at the arena now that, you know, in the fans defense, they haven't had a lot of a lot of things to cheer about lately. But it's a good TV sport. Golf. I haven't really missed the galleries, believe it or not. I think the players have missed it more than I have as a new uh, a viewer. Football, though, it's totally different. You, you're you missing that fan interaction with each play. And I do hope that you can get more fans in stands. Um, yeah. A little crowd noise. I watch a couple college games, too. ESPN's been playing high school games where there's a lot of fans in there. And that's, like, normal. Um, yeah, they need to get, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I'm at, you know, we're at the world's pace here, right, with this whole pandemic and return to, to normalcy. But I hope it I hope it happens quick for for the Bills' sake anyways, because that's a huge home field advantage for the Bills when there's fans in the seats. Yeah, there's no question about it. And I don't even want to say it's the world's pace. I think it's like individual states' paces right now because, again, I'm down here in Florida, and I sat in a crowd. There was at least, I want to say, four to 500 people in those stands. So it was kind of weird. Now, I agree with you 100% about football. I was going to ask you about that. I know you're a big golf fan, and I know you're obviously a big hockey guy. Watching the games, though, I haven't watched a ton of hockey. I'm starting to lock in a little bit more now with the Stanley Cup. Which, by the way, we're taping this Monday night, so we really won't talk about the Cup because Game 2 will be going on while we're taping. But at any rate, just you watching the games, has it felt a little weird to you not having fans there, or have you been able to kind of almost like block it out? Because, again, me personally, I don't watch as much hockey as you, obviously, but I watch a ton of NBA. Baseball's been really weird to me, but NBA... Hasn't bothered me, but the football games, you could tell the pipe thin sounds has been a, a little bit extreme. But anyway, I wanted to get your take about watching hockey. Well, what has it been like for you watching yeah. the games? The, the pipe thin sounds, by the way, in any sport, totally cheesy. I'm not I'm not for yeah. trying to create something that's purely organic. Fan noise and fan interaction is just organic. But um, hockey, I don't know. I mean, I, I do think, like I said earlier, it's a it's a really good sport for TV as long as you get the camera angles right and everything else. You got to keep in mind too. A lot of what I watch is a lot of junior hockey where, you know, there's not fifteen thousand people jamming into a junior rink to watch these guys. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure. So right. I'm used to a little bit of uh, less fan involvement. Um, I haven't really noticed it much. I'm kind of used to it now with hockey. And by the way, the NHL has done a really good job with that whole with the whole thing. I was a skeptic. Um, 
I didn't think that any of these sports really were going to be able to pull it off except maybe golf because it played outdoors. And, you know, I mean, you can, you can kind of get by without being on top of another human, but, um, I don't, I really haven't, I really haven't, I, I guess I'm fully adjusted to having no fans in those rinks and, and watching the game and just kind of enjoying the product like I normally do. All right. So, and like I said, you talked about golf. We're both golf guys. The fans haven't really bothered me that much. I do like listening to the sounds of a fan when somebody hits a drive right off the bat or the roar of a big putt, something like that. But that hasn't bothered me, but it has kind of been weird for me, almost like freaking me out a little bit that is late September and I was watching the U.S. Open late into Sunday after the Bills game. And of course, the Masters, which now is not even started into, it's not even started until November. Like, what do you think about that? I know that's a little weird to you, maybe. No, it, oh, it's definitely weird. I mean, the course is played different in different times of year. Like when we see the Masters in November, it's going to be completely different than when it plays in like April, you know, and it's, it's a, um, I think it's April when they usually play it. Gosh, I don't, I don't even know right now. Yeah, but, it is. But, but no, but I think the biggest thing that I've noticed about not having fans at a lot of these courses is where, you know, the galleries usually are, they trample down that rough. And now, yeah. you know, and it makes really playable lies a lot of times around the greens or, you know, wherever where there's usually a gallery. Now there's no trample down rough guys are having to, you know, gouge balls out where they normally in past years would have had an easier play. And I've noticed a difference there. It's funny though, watching golf without fans, I've adjusted because I play a lot of golf without fans. Obviously no one's watching me golf and it looks (laughs) like I'm out there playing, you know what I mean? But no, I think the biggest thing too, I'm going to be really curious to see how Augusta plays in November. Um, Just the grass is different. The greens could be different. You know, it's, it's, um, it's going to be really cool to see. I'm kind of, you know, I, like I said, I'm you, I, I'm all for getting everything back on a normal schedule. You know, we've had the same sports schedule for so long, our whole lives. You know what I mean? But there is an element of cool amidst all of this chaos of the, that we're in right now as a country to have these events take place at different times of year. So um, that's the biggest thing. And like, just real quick, I know I, your listeners probably don't want to hear me drone on about golf, but I just, you know, Bryson DeChambeau, for anyone that's not a golf regular watcher, viewer, someone who follows it, you got to kind of check out what this guy's doing and the backstory there. I'm not a Bryson hater, but I'm not like a fan of his either, Pat. And I'm telling you, man, watching this guy hit the ball so far and he's taken away like mid to long irons out of the game. He's yeah. wedging in on these, you know, long par fours and some even par fives and he's not hitting fairways, you know, so he's, he's hitting the ball out of the rough. He's getting the club speed. He's really gripping. Now he's ripping through. He's doing everything great. He's changing the game. You're going to hear a lot of chatter if you haven't picked up on it already about how do you, you know, how do you defend against this? You know, because I think the purists are hating it and everyone's talking about it, but largely because Bryson's also talking about it. You know what I mean? Like he loves talking about what he's done to gain 35, 40 pounds and he thinks he's going to be out there at 240 pounds, Pat. Wow. So can you imagine this guy even beefier than he is? Now he's going to look really slovenly when he gets up to 240, I think. But I mean, for people that are, are just kind of wondering what this guy's all about, he's changing the game. That's why people are talking about him so much. It's pretty wild to see. But anyway, I, I want to, I'll get off my golf soapbox, but I just, I had to throw that in there because it's like the talk of the town right now, the day after the U S open. Oh, you do. Are you kidding me right now? I'm grateful to be able to have a guest on who is interested in talking about golf. I can talk <laughs> about golf for the entire episode. I saw the one hole and you're hundred percent, right? It was like, I don't remember what hole it was, but it was like 200. It was a par five. He hit the heavy rough, not like the light rough. Like he was in the heavy rough, like 239 yards away and took an iron and and got on the green in two. I think he ended up two putting for birdie on that hole. But yeah, I mean, anyone else is hacking out of there, maybe to 150 to 120 yards. He took a full swing, dead smack. And I mean, he had an okay lie, but it wasn't a great lie. And this was in the heavy stuff too, man. Yeah, his power is just unbelievable and it's definitely a transition because you know i'm a phil guy i'm a tiger guy and uh i don't know i i mean i think tiger's still on the brink of being good it seems like he could put together parts of good rounds but then he's not finishing phil man that was uh i watched most of his first round last thursday i think that was his i think it tied for the worst round of any major he's ever had Certainly the first one for sure, but yeah that, that was probably his last round at the U.S. Open, sounds like, um, unless he gets some kind of exemption or whatever moving forward. But kind of sad to see. And I love Phil. I'm a lefty also. So, I, you know, I just love watching Phil. I love watching Bubba because he's a lefty. But, um, you know, the Tiger thing is going to be interesting to see what he does between now and the Masters because he says he's been playing a lot of golf. But 
him playing a lot of golf and practicing is just at his home course or medalist or whatever. And he's just cruising around in a car. He's getting out, he's hitting the ball. That's not the same as tournament golf. He's not mentally engaged in tournament golf. Like he needs to play the Zoso. He needs to play a CJ cup. He needs to play a couple of these tournaments coming up. Maybe a course where he has history. I think one of those, I think it's at Sherwood. He has history there. I'm pretty sure. Like he just needs to get out and play more tournaments because it's going to be really good for golf, especially the masters in November. If he's competitive, not that, there's not going to be, there's going to be plenty of storylines. You know, Brooks Kepka hates Bryson, right? It's going to be really nice to have a healthy Brooks Kepka out there trying to knock off DeChambeau coming yeah. off the U.S. Open. I mean, there's so many cool storylines. Tiger would just add that another cool layer to it. And on the DeChambeau thing, by the way, if he tears up Augusta like he could, and if he handles those greens, because by the way, what's lost in all this, he's not just bombing the ball. He's putting extremely well. He handled those greens at Wingfoot like he was playing a Muni. You know, I, right. I live over here by Hamburg. I mean, straight putt. He was, he had, I think, two, three putts on Saturday. That's it. If he kills Augusta, you're going to hear all the chatter about changing the ball. Like, I think Jack Nicholson wants to change the ball and the spin and all this stuff. And I'm not for that, but I think you're going to hear, and you don't necessarily, you can't lengthen the course. What are you going to do? Buy more acreage if you, you know, and totally blow these courses up? I think you can reconfigure some of these courses. So I don't really know how you defend against Bryce. And that's where I struggle with the whole thing, but, you know, you're not going to put water all over the course, but you could maybe shorten the fairways, actually. Put like a shit ton of heather at like 320 yards or something like that. So maybe he has to lay up. Like imagine that 300 yards is laying up. <laughs> you know what I mean? But like it's going to be really cool. Like I hope it's – I hope there's excitement around the Masters with it being in November. And they're going to do, do it where that final round, I think, is um, going to be played earlier on Sunday. Do you think that golf right now without Tiger and Phil – who are big names, but I, I think we could both agree. Phil's definitely on his way out. I very much want to see Tiger still be competitive. I mean, it was not too long ago where he won the Masters, so I guess he could put it together for a week, and you never know. But like even with the U.S. Open, I remember tweeting because I felt stupid after I said he shot himself out of the tournament on the front nine on Thursday, which it looked like he was going to because he was like three over. Then he had a run of birdies, played excellent. Then he got to the last two holes and he played the last two at three over and he never really recovered from that. Anyway, my point was this. I obviously, golf, the sport, wants Tiger to be competitive. But let's just say for the sake of discussion, he's not. Do you feel like golf is doing a good enough job making these guys like Bryson and Brooks Kepka and Rory and, and, and Spieth and Dustin Johnson, by the way, who's a, a big bomber himself. Do you think the sport is doing enough to make these guys marketable that the average fan is going to want to tune in? Now, I'm not comparing anybody to tiger because tiger just completely transformed the popularity of it you know what i'm saying you think golf is in a good place right now that's what i'm asking i think so without tiger. i do think so because tiger i think the big misnomer here and i don't know if it, someone was saying this i think it might have been mike Tarico, okay and he made a really great point and it's true tiger he, being a minority okay he did bring more minorities to the the sport of golf but really what he did was he made golf cool and you yeah. have these big athletes, like you have great athletes. If you look at the golfers in the 80s, they weren't really classic athletes, okay? Now you have guys that are athletic and they have a lot of natural appeal, I think, to folks. I mean, I think golf is in really good hands. If Tiger and Phil don't play another PGA event ever again, I think the PGA itself or just the sport of golf is in really good hands with Rory and Xander and Justin Thomas and all these guys. You mentioned DJ, who's who has just been killing it up until the U.S. Open, and you know, there's a, another nice, really good group of young players that just came up with, whether it's Morikawa, who won a major this year at the PGA, or Hovland, Scotty Scheffler, Matthew Wolf, who was in the final group with Bryson. you got another wave of guys coming in that are in their early 20s. Golf is now cool. And there's still a lot of people that are maybe my age or older, it's like, uh, you know, never liked golf, who just can't get it, and they'll always be defiant against it. Golf's pretty cool now, and I think the sport's going to be fine moving forward. Was golf cooler for you when you were younger? Like I'm your, I'm a handful of years older than you, but now you take a kid, somebody, I don't say a kid, but you know, a young, or a young adult, I should say, maybe in their mid twenties, even in, in their early thirties, where by the time they were old enough to start playing, Tiger was on the scene and golf became, you know, in culture, very cool. But like when people like you and I were growing up, I don't remember it ever being cool. I never played golf as a kid. I mean, I love golf now. I can't watch enough of it. I play when I get an opportunity. I was okay at one time, but not so much anymore. But anyway, my point was, I love watching it. But when I was growing up, when I was a kid, I didn't play it, and I didn't, I didn't even like it. I don't know how you felt about golf when you were young. 
but it certainly wasn't hip and cool like it is now. No, it wasn't for a lot of reasons. And really, I'll just name two. Number two, we didn't grow up with a ton of money in my family. I don't know how you grew up, but like Same. it was it, it was a it was a uh, a sport for money. In a lot of ways, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And number two, Still is. And two, I used to listen to George Carlin religiously as a kid. Greatest comedian of all time. And he used to just talk a ton of shit about golf, where it was just an elitist sport and waste of real estate and all this other stuff, you know. So, no, it took me a while to really, you know, I think when you start playing it and you understand the science, then you really appreciate the shots that these pros are able to hit. And you get hooked on it when you play it. And it's a good walk too, man. You know, you get older, you get fatter. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about myself. Okay. (laughs) I like getting out and walking the golf course, man. You know, I don't, that's, that's quality steps and they call it a good walk spoiled. That's true too. But I'm not out there. I want to score well, but I mean, get together with the boys, hanging out for a couple hours, drink some beers, hitting some golf shots. doesn't really get any better than that, man. It really doesn't. It really is fun. And it's a sport that you could play for virtually your entire life. I remember I used to play a Grover when I first really got into it and I would bomb the ball pretty well. And I would play Grover is a place where a lot of old people play because it's cheap. And, and, you know, so they would go there and I would get my ass kicked by a guy. I would out hit the ball by hundred yards because they never miss, you know, it took them three shots to get to the green instead of two, if I hit two good shots, but they, at worst case, they're on the green and three and worst case, they two putt and they walk out with a bogey, get my ass kicked. But anyway, yeah, man, golf's just something that you could do for, your entire life. Being a Bills fan is something that I think we're programmed to do at this point for our entire life. And it is fun to talk about a team that's good. Um, I wanted to have you on for many reasons. And one of them is to ask you about Josh Allen, because mm-hmm. it's refreshing to have somebody. Now you work in sports media again, primarily you cover Sabres and more specifically Sabres prospects. But when it comes to football, you're kind of like me, dude, we're, we're fans. First and foremost, so I want to get your perspective as from a fan. A, what did you think of Josh Allen when the Bills drafted him? Because it's been a scintillating topic locally, nationally from day one. I mean, this guy is a polarizing figure because the detractors from Josh Allen, it seems like no matter what he does, including even now, they still diss him. And conversely, you know how Bills fans are, Homer fans, no matter what he does, they always had an excuse. But now he's playing great. Anyway, what were your thoughts? from day one on having him here and the way he's playing right now, because I'm seeing a dude who's really turning into a legitimate franchise quarterback. No, he is. And I think, you know, so I, I remember that draft year fondly, it was pretty clear that the bills needed a quarterback. And obviously you know, it gets almost like politics. You know what I mean? Where you get these little camps, these little clusters of fans that have their guy and it happens a little bit. You know, I cover the NHL draft. Obviously it covers a little bit there. There's always those pet prospects that kind of, they become like those little hipster prospects, so to speak. You know what I mean? Everyone likes them. No one knows why. You know what I mean? With yeah. Josh Allen, everyone, it, it seemed like the world was against him. And I thought it was unfair. And I think the only time I ever tweeted about anything NFL draft related that year was, you know, the the afternoon guys on GR were having a, a, a discussion about it. And I, I tweeted at them and I just said, you know what? I hope he succeeds because I think it sucks how everyone's just dogging him. And yeah. That's kind of where I've always been at with Josh Allen. I didn't really have a dog in the fight, but he ended up being my dog because everyone was just coming down on him hard. And, um, you know, so to see him evolve, and it's another case in, in, you know, learning from the past. It's another case in development, what he's doing right now. And, but again, though, it's like keep your highs low and your lows high, right? Because I'm not saying that, what he's done the first two weeks of this season, or maybe even some of the good things that he did last season are worth just throwing aside. But I mean, you know, I think that this week against the Rams is going to tell a more compelling story of who Josh Allen is right now at this point in his career than the Jets win or the Dolphins win. And I'm really curious to see that. But I mean, his evolution, you have to, you, you, when we grew up, Pat, when we were kids, quarterbacks had time to, hold the clipboard for a little while and learn from a veteran. And I, there's a big part of me that still thinks that's needed. And I think they actually wanted to do that with Josh Allen, but then they got forced into it, right? Where they had to just throw him yeah. in. So I don't know. I mean, I guess it's a good, it's a good um, case of development again, though, right? Like humans have to develop. Football players have to develop. Hockey players certainly have to develop because you draft them when they're 18. And I just always, you know, but no one wants them to develop on their time, on their watch. You know, you're a Bills fan. I don't have time to watch the quarterback develop. I get it. So it's been nice to see him, though, develop. Well, I mean, look, he's getting to the point for me where 
And again, I agree with you. Let's not get too high on them. Let's not throw a parade because at the end of the day, these were the freaking Jets and the Dolphins, okay? I get that. That said, he's really starting to check a lot of the boxes, whether some things that he was already good at or some things he was bad at. Last year, he had his moments and he was horrifically bad at throwing a deep ball. Could not throw a nice deep ball to save his life. I think in two games, shit, man, I think maybe Sunday alone, he shut a lot of people up with that because he was throwing some dimes, some deep dimes. The one bad thing, he got away with it on Sunday. In fact, it didn't even officially count, is the fumbling. He almost had another fumble. They ruled that for Brockers from stop. Of course, he lost two against the Jets. He's got to clean that up. But, dude, I don't care what you say, who they're playing, where the game is at, what the situation is. When you complete 24 of 35 passes and you throw for 417 yards and four touchdowns, that's a day. That is a hell of a day. And the stats are two games. I've heard people, I, in fact, I've had ESPN on most of the day, mainly because I'm too lazy to get up and change the channel while I'm working from home like you. But anyway, six touchdowns. Um, I think there's only four quarterbacks who have ever gotten off to the start that he has right now. It was like uh, Brady, Peyton Manning, and maybe Patrick Mahomes, something like that. But he's just been, I mean, what can you say? If you're saying bad stuff about him right now, and I'm not saying, okay, you're right. Like, he's got to prove it against the Rams. He's going to have to prove it against the Steelers. He's going to prove it against a lot of good defenses this year, Seattle. But right now, if you're saying anything bad about Josh Allen, I feel like you're looking to say something bad. You know what I mean? And there are people like that. You know that from the hockey world. No matter what somebody does to prove people wrong, they're still going to be negative about that person because it's almost like they want to find something bad about him. You know what I'm saying? What's great about it though, too, is like, you know, obviously quarterback's the most important position. Okay. But what the bills have done is they surrounded this great physical talent Yeah, with a team they built around him. He has the receivers. Now you have two number one receivers here and that actually, actually, you know, obviously it helps him execute. Right. But he's spreading the ball around because he has these weapons now. And by the way, I would get my left nut for Gasecki to be on the Bills roster, wouldn't you? Oh, oh my oh Lord, God. what a player. Could you imagine him on this Bills offense? But I digress. But it's like, you know, you look at the, what they've done, though. He has the ability now. It's going to be really hard to game plan against him because it's not just him as a thrower, right? And by the way, you're totally – I can't agree with you more about the deep ball. And it's not only just the accuracy now with the deep ball. It's how he does it. It's like a flick of the wrist, man. And that's, yeah. go. It's, it makes it look so effortless. It's really a joy to watch. But I think that – what I was saying earlier, though, is that they have the weapons around him now. I think he I'm looking at I just brought the stats up when you were talking. He connected with eight different guys yesterday. And we haven't even gotten the running game going yet here in Buffalo, really. And I think that the, the Rams is going to be a totally different ball game and a better litmus test for where he's at because Aaron Donald's going to be coming for him. Right. They have a good front. The Rams do. Now, we know that Allen is really good at escaping pressure and he didn't run a lot this week. He's going to probably be running again, right? How does he balance that, though, that desire to run yet still use those weapons that he clearly clicked with in the win against the Dolphins? I mean, that's going to be the compelling part of the Sunday's game, I think, coming up because he's going to be tested. That line's going to be – the Bills' offensive line is going to be tested. And it, it it's is, really – It is. You know what I mean? It's like how is he going to hold up at that? But, no, it's just really exciting. Pat, I can't remember the last time – Everyone says, you know, you have like receivers that can take the top off the defense or whatever they say, right? You have two guys now that can do that. And you have this guy that can throw the ball a mile. I, I can't, it's just, it's been so long since we've been this excited about a Bills offense. They modernized it finally. <laughs> they did. And you brought up something that I think is very important. And I kind of want to intertwine Bills and Sabres stuff here based on what you said, because it really resonated. Ed, literally, as you were saying it, you talked about Josh Allen and the support the system that they have for him to be successful, going out and get a Stephon Diggs. I mean, they got three legitimate wide receivers. You add a rookie like Gabriel Davis, you can make a case right now that the Bills, without question, have one of the, say, top five receiving units in the entire NFL, which is kind of crazy to think about, considering in 2018, it was like Zay Jones, Robert Foster, and Kelvin Benjamin, or Andre Davis, or some crazy yeah, I swear crap God, like They had four wide receiver sets, right? Didn't they roll out yeah. four? And it wasn't a yeah. Hail Mary that they were throwing, right? Like they had four, like <laughs> I've never seen that. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no. But yeah, that's my point is like they've, they've invested heavily last year in the offensive line to really get that unit better. They've used back-to-back 
early third, I consider a third round draft pick relatively early. Back-to-back years, they've gotten two good young running backs right now, which you said. They haven't really gotten that running game going too much, although they did, um, the running backs averaged like five and a half yards of carry against Miami on Sunday, so it was much improved. But anyway, my point was this. So much good around Josh Allen to give him the tools to be successful. And as you're saying that, I can't stop thinking in my mind, I'm like, Jack Eichel. I just think of Jack Eichel because Jack Eichel, one of the most talented players in the history of the Sabres, maybe the most naturally gifted hockey player in the entire franchise's history. But yet you look and it's maddening at how poor of a job the Sabres organization to this point through five years of his career has done this around him with the right people that are going to help this guy win. Whereas Josh Allen has got everything around him going well. I feel like every year the deck is just completely stacked against Jack Eichel. And that's the most frustrating part about me with Jack Eichel is the guy's, he's not even that, I mean, he's young, but he ain't that young anymore. He's five years in the NHL. And I feel like the organization, at least at this point, maybe that starts changing and we'll talk about stall in a little bit, mm-hmm. but it's like, why are they, why have they been so inept at surrounding him with guys that are going to help him win? It takes a team, man. It always will take a team. And that's what I appreciate, I think, about this Bills group. And the Sabres are a few years off from running hockey's version of a four-wide receiver set. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. They have a lot of work to do to build those weapons where you can you know, spread the attack around like the Bills are doing right now. But no, I, I mean, I, that's the biggest conundrum right now is that they say there's no quick fix for hockey teams. And we, we've tried it here a couple times in Buffalo with um, you know, making some big splashes after their little rebuild slash tank. Um, they had the guys, though, if you think about it. I mean, they had the Evander Canes here to maybe make them as, you know, high-volume complementary pieces. They had Ryan O'Reilly here, who's a hell of a hockey player. Like, they've actually had some guys come through these doors in the past five years that they just couldn't stay with the team for whatever reason. So it's like back to the drawing board again. But, um, no, Eichel is um, – they you know, if it's in the Sabre – I'll make it real short on this. I think the simplest thing I can say on that is that they'd be wise to listen to him and his – you know, his press conference or his postseason statements were basically saying, I need help. And you can't make it another 18 or 19 year old. I'm sorry. I cover prospects. I love watching really good 18 to 19 year old properties of the Sabres and covering them and just kind of telling the fans a little story about who who they are, what they're doing, how they're developing. I'm at the point now where it's like, trade the pick and get them some help. You know, now I don't think they will because of financial concerns, but I mean, that's kind of where I'm at. And that's how you know, maybe dire straits. I think you need to take it a lot more seriously than maybe the fans realize when it comes to the Sabres and, and accelerating the building up around Eichel this year. You have to do it as quickly as possible. There is no slow play on this one anymore. Yeah, I mean, he's more support. Speaking of support, by the way, how good is Stefan Diggs? Now, again, you don't need to be Joe Biscali from The Athletic breaking down <laughs> all 22 film. We're not experts like that, but you know what? We have a set of eyes and we watch football games. How big has this dude been in terms of not just what he could do, and you could tell the chemistry's already there with him and Josh Allen. I mean, this guy's such a good route runner. He catches those tough passes, but he seems like he's making life a hell of a lot easier for John Brown and Cole Beasley, too. I mean, this guy has been a hell of a pickup for them. I mean, if you're a, a defensive coordinator playing the Bills, who do you double, you know? And it's like, so no, I mean, first of all, I'm a Maryland Terrapin. Diggs was a Maryland Terrapin. It was great to see one of the few very good Maryland Terrapins in the NFL come to Buffalo, number one. Hmm. Number two, um, no, I mean, it's just been fantastic. I mean, it makes John Brown more effective. Kind of that was my point about the doubles. And, you know, I don't – like I was asking myself this question last night. I'll ask you the question because I don't know the answer. I mean, is the Brown-Diggs combo as good or better as Lockett and um, Metcalf in Seattle? I think it is because I think they're more proven – I like DK Metcalf. Like, that was a hell on Sunday. I mean, I don't want to say last night because we're taping this Monday night. Sunday night football, I mean, he beat Gilmore clean, and Gilmore does not get beat. Right. The guy is good. He's not a... I remember hearing about what a bust he might be and how many teams. I remember a lot of people wanted the Bills to draft him. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying I, w- I wouldn't want him. But I don't... I mean, that's a very fair question. Um, I'm afraid to be called biased by saying Buffalo, but I really feel that it's that way. And here's the reason why. One of the reasons... I love John Brown. He is one of my favorite players on this entire football team because he's so unselfish. I legitimately think if John Brown, like he against Miami, he had four catches for 82 yards and a touchdown, okay? I think 
If John Brown has one catch for 11 yards and no touchdowns and the Bills win the game by a field goal, I think he's going to be just as happy. He's a very unselfish player. I think he's an amazing fit for Stephon Diggs, who wants the football. And there's nothing wrong with wanting the football, but if you got a guy like that, you need a complimentary player like John Brown who could kill you. And we saw it Sunday. He does that. But even if he doesn't, if it's not his day, he ain't going to be pounding in the locker room. He ain't going to be complaining about not getting the football. So I think that chemistry, you know, just like with hockey too, chemistry is important. So that's why I really love that combination as much as I do. And again, if you add Cole Beasley and a guy who could really work the middle of the field, I don't know, just, I'll tell you, man, I don't know a lot of teams in the NFL that got a better one, two, three, or even if you want to take Beasley out of it, one, two, I I still think the Bills got, even if you just go one, two, one of the top five tandems in the NFL. No, that's good commentary, what you said about Digzo and the Brown dynamic and their relationship, because I think you're right. Um you know, with um, Diggs, like I, my my biggest concern when he came to Buffalo was you got to keep him happy because it seemed like he yeah. was very unhappy in Minnesota. So thirteen targets yesterday. I don't know what he had the first game, Pat. I don't, do you, did he have double? He had double digit looks. I'm assuming, right? Double digit targets. But I mean, they have to maintain that, right? Keep feeding him, keep him happy, make him feel important because I think that's going to keep him happy here in Buffalo. It is, and again, and I, I feel like that's fine. But if you're going to have someone like that, then you can't have another guy like that who's going to get you know annoyed. Although I'll say this, man, the, the actual, the ball distribution, and it's a little unrealistic to think that it's going to uh, continue for the entire season. And again, they've played two pretty easy teams. So let's not get too far ahead of ourselves here. <laughs> but the ball distribution between those three receivers has been, um, it's actually been incredible. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to find it right now. So uh, where the hell are the targets here? Because uh, now you got me interested in that first yeah, sorry, game. Um, it's not a, not a good game <laughs> for a podcast. Steph, here it is. All right, so here we go. Through two games. Stephon Diggs has 22 targets through two games. So that means I think he had nine then that mean, okay, the first yeah. week. But anyway, he's at 22. Brown is at 16, and Beasley's at 13. To me, that is an incredible ratio. Um, Dawson Knox has had a couple. I'd like to see him do a little bit more. We didn't get to see the fumble, but he had a 38-yard play that resulted in a fumble. Plus, now he's got a concussion, so... Who knows when he'll be back. But anyway, those three receivers, that distribution, if you could keep that ratio, something like that, you're keeping everyone happy, especially Stephon Diggs, which, by the way, it's one thing to be happy. It's another thing to do something with the ball, and he is absolutely, he's doing it, man. He's really, really good. Look, we could sit here and sing the Buffalo Bills praise all night long, but there were a couple things, too, that are a little worrisome on the other side of the ball, especially yeah. defense. Now, to be fair, Tremaine Emmons and Matt Milano, too, very good linebackers out. You can't just throw those guys out and not expect some kind of drop off. And we got it. But if I, this entire off season, probably the thing that concerned me the most was the second cornerback position. I wasn't a big Josh Norman fan. Still haven't gotten to find out what he could do because he's on short-term IR. But dude, I mean, again, you saw it with your eyes. You don't need to be an expert. Levi Wallace, ugh, Ryan Fitzpatrick. And I remember going back to last year's game against Miami. Ryan Fitzpatrick, to his credit, said, you know what? I'm going after this dude every play. And it felt like they were going after Levi Wallace literally almost every passing play, as they should. He still threw for over 300 yards yesterday, or, you know, yeah. Sunday, in Sunday's win. Um, no, so I hear you. I mean, and that's a concern. The linebackers were a concern. You know, and, and Wallace, I mean, obviously, I think that Goff, and they're going to go at him again, obviously. I think that everyone knows that now. But, um, you know, the linebacker, I, I was really happy with Dodson. Yeah. I, I thought he was a nice surprise. And, again, I'm not used to – I'm not used to any of this because there's always like a flaw in the bills. And it's like mm-hmm. the guys came through, I guess Levi Wallace is your flaw, but um, no, I think that what's the, what is the outlook right now for Edmonds and Milano for this week? They're, they're keeping it. They're keeping it very tight lipped from what I understand. Tremaine Edmonds had yesterday been an important game, a very important game. Mm-hmm. I think Tremaine Edmonds could have played or I think Matt Milano still would have had to sit out. I think it's hamstring. I'm not saying how serious. I don't know. I, I'd be guessing. So I don't want to make any proclamations. I think that his hamstring's a little more serious than Tremaine Edmonds. And I agree with you, by the way, about Dotson. So much so that I think Tremaine Edmonds might be the better football player than Matt Milano. But right now, if I could only have one of those two guys playing, I'd rather have Matt Milano back in the lineup because I think Dotson could do a decent enough job filling in for Edmonds. Whereas besides Levi Wallace, the other weakness on this defense that I think really stuck out was whether it was A.J. Klein or whoever the hell they had playing that outside linebacker spot with Milano. They look slow, which you mentioned uh, 
Mike Gusecki just, I mean, just worked in the middle of that football. Dude, that guy, field, man, he's so. a monster. He's going to be a monster. I, I think he's still just kind of ramping up, right? I mean, I think he was a yeah. rookie last year and you thought he was raw. But, you know, I wanted to ask you about Milano and Edmonds both. So your son Shane is a linebacker, right? Yeah. So yeah. who does who would you show him tape of or who does he kind of model himself after those two? Is it a combination of both or is Matt Milano Neither. a guy? Yeah. My, it's funny. It's funny you ask that. I I've always considered my son the type of player that I want him to watch because he reminds me a little bit of is actually Lorenzo Alexander. Okay. A guy who was a, kind of a rush end who could play a little bit of linebacker, can even move inside a little bit at, at certain points. Not the best in coverage. Like Matt Milano, and this is why I don't I wouldn't compare my kid or I don't think most linebackers should be compared to Matt Milano is really, really good in coverage. So much better than people give him credit. Like I said. I don't know how he would have did against Mike Isecki because I think he's like an emergent as one of the better tight ends in the NFL. But Matt Milano can make plays in coverage. Now, Tremaine Edmonds is a freak. You know, there ain't a lot of middle linebackers and even in the NFL in the world who can run like him. So, yeah, man, personally, I would say Lorenzo Alexander, which, by the way, I was kind of almost expecting him to get a phone call. And maybe he did, for all we know, about maybe gauging his interest in returning which, by the way, the fact that the Bills have not signed really anybody of note tells me that I don't think these injuries are too serious. Like, they could be, I, I wouldn't be shocked if neither of them play this week. But I don't think they're like three, four-week injuries, you know, something where they're really trying to find somebody from the outside. Totally. It's an interesting right. thing because they're so important to this defense, you know? No, and you signal caller too, right, with Edmonds. But totally random thought when you said when you were describing Lorenzo Alexander when I was asking about you know linebackers and your son and you said a rush end it, it, yeah it, the blast from the past Jeff Posey yeah wasn't yeah. he like the same yeah. type of way like a yeah. rush same linebacker? type of player yeah, yeah I think Lorenzo Alexander is a little more polished a little more accomplished but yeah absolutely definitely the same type of player for sure yeah yeah right. I just want to throw that yeah. out <laughs> <laughs> You know, all right. So I almost said a podcast, but according to Chris, this is a show. Not a lot of shows where there's still Jeff Posey talk. So that's pretty cool. All right. So the big takeaway from this game, uh, and, and you hit on it well, is look, let's be happy. Okay. They are 2 0. 2 0 is 2 0. Not only are they 2 0, but they're 2 0 inside their division already. And they're also won a road game at, at, against a divisional rival. To me, that's, that's not a small thing. I think that's pretty big. But at the same token, Again, I think the Jets probably are the worst team in the NFL. And if they're not, they're going to be right near the bottom of the league. Miami's much more grittier. They do have some talent, but I do think that they lack talent. And I, I think you kind of saw that. Plus, by the way, I don't know how much of a difference you would have made, but Byron Jones getting hurt for Miami, their top cornerback very early in the game, definitely didn't do that Dolphins defense any favors. Huge deal. But, yeah, huge deal. Yeah, and again, right. I, looking forward, I'm I'm still stuck on kind of – this week coming up, this is like the real, the first big one to circle on the calendar. And it's like, what is Allen going to do when he's running away from Donald? Right. Is he going to yeah. just kind of tuck it in and go, or is he going to like escape pressure and still find all these great weapons that we've spent so much time talking about so far today? Yeah. Well, he ain't going to try to run them over. I'll tell you that because it ain't going to work out too well for him if he does. You know what my biggest takeaway with this team is right now is, and as somebody who's watched the team through all the years, the drought years and, and such, the the attitude, the mindset that I have during the games are different now. I'm starting to have confidence in this team. Like, perfect example, when they, it felt like they were starting to blow it a little bit against Miami on Sunday, even to a lesser extent against the Jets in the opener where they were up 21 nothing, and then all of a sudden the game got a little bit tight. I have confidence in this Sean McDermott Buffalo Bills team that I never have. I used to, and I'm pretty sure you did too. We would watch Bills games waiting for the other shoe to fall off, you know, waiting for the rug to get pulled out. Like, how are the Bills going to blow this game today? Who's going to make the big mistake? Who's going to take a bad penalty? Who's going to, you know, have a turnover that makes you lose the game? How are they going to find a way to lose a game that they should win? This team right now, I feel highly confident when I'm watching. I'm like, they can win. Now, the Rams very well could come into Buffalo, and they're a very talented team, much better quarterback than they've seen the first two weeks, better all-around players. There's no Aaron Don there's no Aaron Donalds on other teams either. But having said that, I I think the I think the Bills are two point favorites. I have no idea, but I don't care. My point is I very much think the Bills could be three and zero because I do think they could beat the Rams. You know, 
No, I do. And I, I, you know, it was funny. I was out walking the dogs earlier and I knew that we were going to talk a little bit of football tonight. And I was sitting there saying, you know what the thing is that stands out to me right now about this Bills team is that it's like that consumer confidence level, right? Like if they're down and they need a score, it's vital. They need to march down the field. Maybe not go 97 yards or whatever that drive was where they put together. Right. But you feel like they can do it this yeah. year. And I haven't felt that way about a Bills team in a long time. That's what's really, really cool. And again, it's early in the year and it's going to be tested on Sunday. But that's where I'm at right now. Like I feel I'm, I have all the confidence in the world that when they need to get to go down the field and put up points that they can do it. And that's really, really cool for for Bills fans. Before I get out of here, I got to ask you about Eric Stahl. A trade, I don't know, maybe maybe it wasn't, but to me it felt like it came absolutely out of nowhere. Marcus Johansson goes to Minnesota, they get back Stahl. I want to get your reaction to that. The guy's going to be 36 years old this season. He's played in well over 1,000 games. Veteran presence, I don't think that needs saying, who actually has put the puck in the net very well. But anyway, what was your immediate reaction to that trade? And if maybe it's changed a little bit, now that you've had a little more time to process it, but what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't want to get into Kevin Adams' head too much because I don't know what that's like in there yet. But I think that, um, you know, to me, this move really is all about kind of what Jack Eichel was talking about at the end of the year. Like, we need help. You know, give me some veteran guys. And you guys have been there, done that. And, you know, I don't, you know, he's, Eric Stahl's not going to come in here. And I don't even know if he's necessarily going to be your, like, bona fide second line center that's going to put up a ton of points. He's going to have a drop off. Um, but he's really here for the young guys. He's been there. He's done that. He's won a cup. He's got a lot of, you know, I don't know how much treads left on the tire, but I don't think he needs a ton of tread on the tire to have a profound impact on guys like Dylan cousins, maybe Casey Middlestad, maybe even a little bit of Jack Eichel there too. He's still young and emerging as a captain and a bona fide superstar in the NHL. So I think that the move really is about the locker room and about showing the young guys the way just as much as it is any kind of on ice production that is going to be expected of stall. I thought Billy Guerin's comments Minnesota Wild GM was very interesting when he was talking about Johansson and he indirectly, well, what he said about Johansson was Johansson's younger and he's faster. That almost is saying that Stahl's older and old and slow. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's fair. You know, don't expect, you know, 2010 Eric Stahl. Don't even maybe expect last year's Eric Stahl or two years ago when he had a great season. I'm not expecting that. So for me, it's a good ad for a lot of the off the ice stuff, Sabres can't be done though with trying to acquire centermen. Even if it means, you know, you keep Casey Middlestat down and what they have to do is, you know, still try to take some swings at getting experienced guys on this team. It can't just be Eric Stahl as your primary acquisition in the off season. So what they do in free agency is going to be important. If they move out some contracts, say they move a defenseman, because I think they have a desire to have some, cheaper talent up guys on entry level contracts, whether it's Will Borgen, um, you know, guys like that. I think that if they're balancing payroll concerns, if they want to truly do come in 10 mil under the cap, which we'll see if that's true or not. I don't know. Those are only reports, right? But mm -hmm. to me, the whole stall thing, Pat, it, I'll put a bow on this was really about him being there to show the young guys the way. And if he happens to produce great, because you got him for one year, make the most out of that year, you know, classroom sessions almost for those young guys. That's really what it's all about for me. And I don't, I, don't think, comes to, I don't think fans want to hear that, by the way. But that's exactly where I'm at on stall. No, that's a very fair point. Now, when it comes to the two young guys, the, the two that we speak of most is obviously Cousins and Middlestat. How close do you think these guys are to being, as opposed to, like, look, you always want the young players to be ready and be good and, you know, do it yesterday. But realistically, you look at these two guys, what do you expect from them, as of, at least as of right now, anyway, going into this season? I'm so Cousins is ready. I think I got probably, you know, I don't know. It was like November ish last year where I saw enough of him against junior age kids to say, okay, he's ready. Um, world juniors. He played really well. I, it, really after when the new year hit, I was pretty much done with cousins as a junior player. Okay. So to me, he's ready. Um, I think the expectation for him though, is that he's going to have some peaks and valleys. I, I think that a kid like that is really going to hit his stride on the second half of the season whenever that is, right? We don't know when the hell the season's going <laughs> right. to start. But I think that, you know, how he handles back-to-backs. I mean, we saw it with Cousins in preseason this year. He was 18 years old out there, and he played two games in a row. I think it was Toronto games and back-to-back -back in preseason. He was really good that first game. That second game, he was like, man, what a grind. I was not prepared for that. How he adjusts to that now that he's a professional is going to really tell a story about him this year, and it's going to take him time to get through that, work through the kinks, expect some peaks and valleys. 
And remember, just like we talked about Josh Allen, by the way, he's developing. So Dylan Cousins, it's a longer play with him. You know, it may not be half a season. It may be a year and a half, but he's going to be a very good NHL player. Um, <clears throat> middle stat, I don't think that the the story's, um, you know, completely told on him yet. Does he have deficiencies in his game? Yes. Did I overshoot on him? <clears throat> of course I did. I think I've said that even to you on your podcast. I think that. Yeah, you have. I thought that he was going to come in and and make a seamless transition. I was wrong. And, um, you know, hey, I will say that, by the way. I think more people need to say that when they're wrong. But um, no, I think with him, uh, I think that he, he has a lot to prove still. And if I, I think I know him and I have some insight into his parents and things like that from business, actually, I think that he has it instilled in him that he knows the doubters exist and he's going to do whatever it takes to overcome those doubts. So I'm hopeful for him. Now, does, does that mean that if he doesn't make the roster out of camp that it's a failure? No, he can go back to Rochester, get some momentum, and maybe he works his way back up. All the Sabres can do, though, is create competition. Don't hand these young guys jobs. But I think Cousins is there. Middlestad has to earn it. But even if he doesn't earn it right away, he's not toast. He's not done. Do you, do you think this is finally the offseason, abbreviated offseason, where Rasmus Ursulani gets traded? I mean, the guy's 25 years old, and I feel like we've been talking about him getting traded since he was like 11 <laughs> before he even got in the league. No, man. I don't think so, honestly. Um, you know, I think Ralph Kruger enjoys Ristolainen. I think he likes having him there. Um, now, is that the only reason why you keep him? No, I don't know. I think that, though, you know, they might choose to move a guy like Colin Miller ahead at Ristolainen, you know, or someone like that. You look at the D. Um, now, losing Lawrence Pilot also this offseason to the KHL, I think that kind of takes a it, – it's a significant bite out of out of your roster. And, you know, what to do with Montour. I think they have to address what their long-term – Prospects are for some of these guys, um, and then deal with Ristolainen secondarily. I, I'm as of now, I'm expecting Ristolainen to be here when training camp starts. Last question, by the way, there it is: the guest appearance of Chris Baker's dog. Yeah. There would not be a yeah. show without one of them. I love it. I love it. What What do you watch on TV when you're not watching sports? Because I know between hockey studies and going out and having a couple beers when you get the opportunity, and other sports that you enjoy watching a lot, like. Do you have any TV shows that you're into right now? Because I got one and it's not really new, but I want to hear what you've been watching. So, dude, I, I saw your Twitter feed today. I think I know where you're going with yours, but um, yes, I'm a history nerd. Okay. So I watch History Channel religiously. I love uh, American Pickers. I love all that stuff. I love restoration type of stories, taking something that's old and rebuilding. And I love that, that old Rick's Restoration show, whatever the hell it was called. Um, Fortune Fire. I love that show. I love all those shows. The Curse of Oak Island, where those guys are digging for treasure up in Nova Scotia. I love that show. But also, it's a it's a, a election year, and believe it or not, I'm not going to you know tell you about my politics or anything like that. But I watch CNN and Fox News both. I'll throw them on. I, I think the personalities are fun. It's almost like professional wrestling in a way. But I watch a lot of news shows too, and I picked that up from my father. My, my father used to sit there like a bump on a log and just listen to you know talk radio all day. I think I have that gene in me. So it's, it's history channel and, and news TV is kind of really exclusively and discovery too, a little discovery. So productive shift for you. Now, me, like you said, I tweeted this out today. It started a couple of years ago. It's a random Monday. And I finally started binge watching this Cobra Kai <laughs> and I'm like six episodes into uh, the first season. I guess there's two seasons with 10 episodes two episodes in each. And then a season three is, I, I guess it did get announced, which kind of made me want to watch uh, the first two. Dude, this shit is like, it's like Saved by the Bell, an adult drama, non-comedy version. I mean, it is so ridiculous. The acting is horrific. The, uh, the plot is so far anyway, just stupid, but <laughs> it's so stupid and so horrific. Just like kind of like Saved by the Bell was in terms of younger kids with comedy. And it actually is funny and interesting. Now I see why so many people talk about this show because it's just so utterly stupid that you got to keep watching it. <laughs> I don't have the attention span. I think that's my issue is I don't have the attention span to stay with the show, but I did watch Tiger King, by the way. So it's not like I'm a total mutant who just watches like boring history shows or like new <laughs> stuff. You know what I mean? I did watch Tiger right. King. I thought it was awesome. <laughs> but But no, I mean, I haven't watched Breaking Bad. I haven't watched, you know, any of these shows that everyone tells me to watch and like, I never watched like six feet under everyone told me how great it was. I just, I don't think I have the attention span. I did watch, you know, the last series that I watched regularly from start to finish was Eastbound and Down. Oh yeah. Me too. Any power. Not, not, 
Yeah, no, I was going to say, not the last one I've watched. I watch TV all the time because I, I ain't got shit to do, man. But uh, anyway, he's bowing down was good. Anyway, all right, everyone, give Chris a follow on Twitter, at Sabres Prospects. Dude, thanks so much, so much for doing this, man. I, I love having a chance to rap with you, man. And like I said, not just Sabres. Bill's stuff is a fan. It's pretty cool to have uh, anybody on, frankly, who's a fan. Because talking to people who just covered a team, like if I talk to you exclusively about just covering Sabres prospects. That might get a little boring for you to even talk about. So to have the chance to talk some bills, talk some TV and other shit, man, it's been a good time. Thank you as always, buddy. Thank you for the outlet. And anytime I venture outside of my little hockey bubble and talk about something else, I usually budget for like five to eight tweets of someone telling me, you know, it's giving me shit. So feel free to give me shit if my, my take sucked anyone. I'm okay with it. All right, boys and girls, that is going to do it for another episode. Very, very big thank you again, my man, Chris Baker. Yo, I tried telling you, Chris knows a lot more than just hockey. Don't get me wrong. There's not a lot of people who know more hockey than Chris Baker, but he could do a lot more than just hockey, as you just heard. So thank you very much, Chris. Guys, girls, if you have not yet subscribed to this podcast, please go ahead and do that right now. Rate and review. It literally takes you, I don't know, 15 to 20 seconds. And if you like this podcast, it really, really, truly helps me continue to grow it. So please go ahead and subscribe. We're available on all the major podcasting platforms out there. Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, blah, blah, blah. Pretty much anywhere future award-winning podcasts are found. Also check us out on YouTube, Talking Buffalo Podcast. We got a YouTube channel. Generally speaking, I put highlight clips from current and past episodes from there uh, soon. I keep saying soon, but it is going to be soon. We're going to start doing some video stuff. and We're going to start having some original content that will be exclusive to that channel. You won't find it anywhere else, not even this podcast. So again, Talk About Flow Podcast on YouTube. Then, of course, last but not least, follow me on Twitter at Pamoran Tweets. I am constantly tweeting out podcast updates, polls, upcoming guests, promos, general sports talk with fans. It's where I always am hanging out. At Pat Moran on Twitter. Thank you so much for listening. It's very important to me that I say that. I know it's redundant. I know I end the podcast the same way every time, but it's very important to me to acknowledge that there are so many great shows out there, so many great podcasts, so many great vidcasts out there. And When you're locked into this one, I don't take that lightly. It means a ton to me. I'm very grateful. So thank you very, very much. Have a good, safe rest of the week. And we will be back with a brand new show on Friday.